Hey, thanks everyone. And um, great to be with you. Great to have a voice to be with you, actually. Wasn't it awesome worship? Oh my goodness. That was so good. So good. If you didn't get a gold bar during that worship, then yeah, look for one. Be hungry for one. You can just feel the presence of God building in our meetings, eh? Can you feel that? From one week to week, it is so good. Very good. All right. I wonder if you ever got lost as a child or forgotten. My mum told me I got lost once. I knew where I was. I was waiting exactly where I'd been told. It was down at the Caroline Bay Carnival, Tamaru. I was probably about 10 years old. And um, only one of us got the meeting place wrong, and I realised that when I heard this loudspeaker announcement to the whole of Caroline Bay, um, that that, um, my mum was looking for me. And then, more recently, I felt a little bit bad when I forgot to pick the Fraser kids up from school. (laughs) Not all of them, it's just one of them was with me for that day, and we just got busy and distracted, and then, (gasps) the others! And... um, So it was a mad dash, and I hope that they're not still permanently traumatised by that. But, you know, one of mankind's greatest fears is being forgotten, being abandoned, being left to feel like you're doing life alone. And I wonder if you've ever felt abandoned by God. Like when you needed him the most, he seemed the furthest away. And he couldn't sense his presence. That happened for me as a, well, it's happened more than once, actually. But the first time, I was nine years old, and my father died suddenly. And I had this picture of um, planet Earth and heaven, and Jesus and my dad were, were out here together. And I was abandoned on planet Earth. Now, I really wasn't because I still had a mum and siblings and other family. But the reality was I felt abandoned. My father had abandoned me. We didn't even get to say goodbye. And that was a, a tr- I didn't realise at the time how traumatic that was, but that continued to play into different scenarios in my life over the years and it, abandonment, insecurity, stuff like that. Even though I was a nine-year-old even, I was walking with Jesus, and I continued walking with Jesus all that time, but there were still these times when pressure came on, and I felt all alone, like my survival was all up to me. In 2006, and this wasn't traumatic, um, in 2006, just a few months after I handed Thrive Church over to Chris and Ruth, I went into a transition time, which turned into a bit of a wilderness time. You know what it's like when you've you've left something over here, but you're not there yet, and you're not even sure where there is or what it's going to look like, and you don't know how long this transition's going to be. And so I was in that space, and then I I went to visit um, a couple, Frank Malone and Rachel Hare. Some of you may know them. They're well-known potters in North Canterbury and artists. They had a studio in Kaipo at the time, so I went and visited them. And as I was looking at their work and everything, this, this particular pot caught my eye. It was six centime- 60 centimetres high, so about that high from there. A coil pot. And it wasn't finished, 
But what caught my eye was the inscription on the pot. It said, God remembered Noah, and he sent a wind. And immediately, oh, it's one of those days. Uh, immediately, I felt the presence of God. And nothing changed for me, but I knew that God was there. You know, when you feel the presence of God, it's like everything that's out of order kind of comes into order. It feels okay again, even if the circumstances haven't changed. It was like that. And, and um, if you just go back to the other one, um, I asked Rachel just a wee while ago if, if she had a picture of it. And so this is the, this is the pot. You can't see the inscription. Um, but it was bought by a government official. So it's now up in Wellington um, in somebody's, somebody's home. An amazing piece of work. You know, several times in Scripture, it actually says God remembered. Like, God remembered Abraham. God remembered Rachel. God remembered Hannah. God remembered Noah. And I kind of think it begs the question, well, did God forget them? I mean, did he kind of, you know, busy with them and then go off and get busy with somebody else and, and uh, forgot all about them? And then suddenly thought, oops, I just remembered where I left Abraham. Better go back and get that sorted. Well, we're going to look at one of those stories today just to get some idea around this whole concept of God remembering. And this is one of the most well-known stories in the Bible, probably the most well-known story. You don't even have to be a Christian to know this story, the story of Noah and the ark. You do have to be a Christian to know the true story because it's been modified in all kinds of ways. Now, many people scoff saying that this story is a legend. But the truth is, that there are around 270 similar accounts in cultures from all around the world of a catastrophic flood. From, the, uh, Papu from Papua New Guinea to the Hawaiian Islanders, the African Hottentots, I don't know who they are, um, to the Aztecs in their carvings, but the, most, the one that is most similar to the biblical account is actually found on Babylonian tablets. It's recorded on these tablets. And of course, same area. Um, so rather than tell you a whole lot about the art, we're just going to watch this little short video to just impress you with the size of the ark. Did you ever wonder if Noah's Ark could really have been big enough to keep all those animals safe from the biblical flood? Well, as Paul Strand now reports from Kentucky, standing next to an actual accurate reproduction of the Ark may cause any doubt to fall away. More than a million people a year have flocked to Central Kentucky's Ark Encounter since it opened in 2016. Sure, you've heard of Noah and the Ark, but you may have never really been impressed by the scale of what the man built until you're standing by an exact replica of the Ark then you realize why it took him a few decades to build it. Not a couple, a few. Quite a few. The Ark Encounter's Patrick Kanuski says the length, width, and height are all accurate. It's the biblical proportions. Uh, these are the dimensions from Genesis. One amazing revelation expert nautical engineers brought in to consult found as they studied God's design for the Ark that it was absolute perfection. It's a perfect dimensions for seaworthiness, weight distribution, smoothness of ride, 
When CBN News first visited the Ark as it was being built, it was pretty much a huge rectangle with hardly anything inside. Now, the 10-story high vessel is crammed with more than 100 exhibits and stuffed with animals in their flood time cages. A model inside the Ark shows how they could have all fit. Could it have actually been able to house six to 7,000 animals? Yeah, we think so. And tourists can ask Noah himself about such things because versions of his entire family are on board and Noah's talks. It really wasn't hard to find the animals since God brought them right to me, just as he said he would. Noah's family teaches a great lesson in racial harmony, reminding visitors, no matter their color, everyone on earth is a descendant of Noah, all just one human race. And from these eight people actually comes uh, the rest of us here in the world. We can the stop exhibit that shows human history from the time <laughs> of perfection in the garden. Very impressive, isn't it? And uh, it probably wasn't as beautifully sculpted with the bow and the stern as what you see there. It might have been just a box, but that's the length, that's the height, that's the breadth. Um, absolutely amazing. And, um, you know, people have gone in search of the ark. You can find out from the Bible roughly um, where it came to rest up in the mountains between Armenia and Afghanistan and the northern Turkey region. One of those that went was um, Bob Konyuk. He was a former SWAT team member and a police investigator. And now he's working in Bible archaeology search and exploration. And on an expedition there in 2007, he and his team saw this unusual structure way up in the hills, 14,000 feet above sea level, was this what looked like fossilised wooden beams about 400 feet long, about the length of the ark. But not only that, uh, around the area when they looked, there was evidence of sea life from a long time ago, um, including lots of clamshells. So it's it just, I mean, that's just to help you reprogram where the world is wanting to convince you of all this stuff in the Bible as legends, I just want those few things to stick with you to know that this is real. This is true. And if you look at the story, and the story goes in Genesis 6, 8, and 9. 6, 7, 8. Um, there's a bit more about Noah and 9, but 6, 7, 8. And uh, you see there there's actual dates and days and months given. I mean, you don't find that in a legend. And also, those dates are significant when you go across to the New Testament and uh, find out what happened on those. We haven't got time for that. So Noah was a righteous man who found favor in God's eyes in the midst of a perverse and corrupt world. And uh, he walked with God, he had a relationship with God, and he heard a word from God, and the word from God was this. I'm going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all life under heaven. Everything on earth will perish, but I will establish my covenant with you and your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives. So by faith in that word that he'd heard and faith in the character of God who'd come to know, he started building the ark. And it probably took him between 40 and 70 years. You have to study your Bible, look at the... Um, dates and, and the age he was before and after to kind of figure some of that out. But anyway, it took a long time. Eventually, by faith, Noah and his family entered the ark, followed the animals into it, and then, boom, God shut the door. And they waited. 
First day, nothing happened. Second day, third day. The Bible tells us they waited seven days before it rained. You can imagine the doubts that would start to creep in at that point and how silly you might feel when, if, you could, if you could look out the window, which I don't think they could, and uh, everybody else probably scoffing at them and all the laughing at them. But then, on exactly the 17th day of the second month, water poured from above as the heavens just broke open and erupted from below from these subterranean caverns. They began to spew water out. And on it went for 40 days and nights until the ark floated. You know this bit. And until the tallest mountain was covered in seven meters of water. Now, you think, well, could that happen again? Well, God's promised it never would. And not only that, scientists will tell you that it can't happen now. The only reason it could happen back then was that if you read Genesis 1, you find that there was a water canopy encircling around the earth, making like a uh, hothouse, greenhouse effect. And it says that the mist went up from the ground and watered the earth. So when that huge water canopy collapsed in on the earth, this is what happened. And so months and months passed locked up in this boat. I mean, this is no luxury cruise. There's no entertainment. There's no fine dining. There's no movies. There's no steward to make your bed and do your washing. There's no swimming pool even. You're just stuck in this boat that's floating aimlessly on an endless ocean. There is no sail. There is no rudder. There is no control. And I wonder if you've ever felt like that at different times in your life. No rudder, no sail. You've got no control and you feel like you're drifting aimlessly. Some people feel that the planet is a bit like that at the moment. We've got no rudder, no sail, no control, and all this stuff is happening. But God. God knew exactly what he was doing back then, and he knows exactly what he's doing now. The same God as the song goes. I was imagining some of the interactions and conversations on the ark. Mrs. Noah, about a month into it. Noah! When can I put the washing out? I've got a month's load of washing. <laughs> he listens. Um, rain again today, dear. Maybe after six months. Noah, are we there yet? <laughs> Where's there? Noah didn't know. God knew when the flood would start, and Noah knew approximately God knew the day it would finish, but had he told Noah? No, he hadn't told him. And if only God would tell us the end date of our trials. You know, we can endure most things if we know, well, in 10 days, this will all be over. Or in six months. 
or even if he gave us two years, just give us an end date so we know when this is going to be over and we can cope with it. But it's the not knowing that's really hard. It's that uncertainty that gnaws away on the inside. And I remember when Pete was first diagnosed with cancer in 2013 and uh, there's all the uncertainty and then they do all these tests and it got worse. And, um, and there's still this uncertainty. Is he going to live? Is he going to die? How long has he got? And all these things. And, you know, it went through a year of treatments and stuff like that. And, and then it sounded like it was going to be good. And, yeah, that kind of stuff, it can wear you down. And the truth is that many wonderful believers and people who are not believers go through trials, wilderness, flood, valley of the shadow of death, wonderful believers and sometimes in that place we can feel forgotten lost where's God has he left me and we know in our head well no that's not true because we know our Bible and we know what it says but we can lose that conscious awareness of his presence and you know that if we have his presence, if we are aware of his presence, we've got everything. We've got him, and we know it's going to be all right, but when you lose that conscious awareness of his presence, it can make us feel abandoned. This monk, Thomas Merton, wrote this, and I think it's amazing. You just need to pause and think about it. God, who is everywhere, never leaves us. Yet, he seems to be present sometimes to be present, sometimes absent. And if we do not know him well, we do not realize that he may be more present to us when he's absent than when he is present. You know, a pilot has to know his flight instruments so well. He has to trust them so that he can fly Blind, fly blind if necessary, in whiteout conditions, in a storm where he can't see, and, and he's listening to the control tower voice as well. And you know, his instincts may tell him, oh, the plane's up the wrong way. Um, I can't trust my flight instruments. I'm sure that's earth and that's sky. And you know, if he doesn't trust those instruments, he's going to crash, as happens, disastrously. You know, God has given us flight instruments too. And two of those are his word, his promises. And the other one is the loving character of God. And Deb spoke about that a couple of weeks ago as well. And Noah had those two things. He had this promise from God, the word of God, and he knew the character of God. So he could trust God in his trial. Bill Johnson says this, it's the simplicity of childlike faith that says, you know what? He knows what's happening, and I don't, and I'm just going to trust him. So where was God when all this was happening for Noah and his family? If you've got your Bible, you need to look at Genesis 7-1, but it's going to come up on the screen anyway. And uh, your Bible may say, then God said, go into the ark. But if you go to the New King James and the Amplified, it says, come into the ark. 
So if God said to you, come into the ark, where would, you, where would God be, Rachel? Yeah. Where would God be? If he said, come into the ark, he would be in the ark. Do you agree, Eli? Yeah. Do you agree, Abby? What about the back row? Richard, do you agree? Yep, thumbs up. Good emoji. All right, so whatever our storm, trial, wilderness, valley, Jesus is already there. He is our ark. He said, come to me, all you that are weary and heavy burdened. He is our place of safety. He is our place of rest. He's our place of shalom. Even when we don't see it, he's working. You know the song? Even when we don't feel it, he's working. Noah's name also means rest. So Noah patiently rested in God, in that security of his presence. So that even in the valley of the shadow of death, it says, David said, I will fear no evil for your presence is with me. It's another quote from Bill Johnson, and this is just given a few days uh, um, after his wife died of cancer, even though they've been praying, fasting, all the rest of it. He said this, It's only in the darkness of soul, in the trial of not knowing what's going on, and doing everything you know to do, yet having things not work out like you think they should, that you find a special depth of his presence. That special depth of his presence in that place of mystery, disappointment. It doesn't automatically happen. You need to be open, open to him. There's a great scripture that might come on the screen there, but I'm just going to, you can jot that one down. Um, But I just love the fact that God says, I will not, I will not, I will not in any degree leave you helpless nor forsake you nor let you down. I will not relax my grip on you. So finally we get to Genesis 8.1. God remembered Noah and he sent a wind and the waters receded. Now if we do the maths, because you can just re- read that through and think, oh well, that didn't take long. Um, but in actual fact, and I'm not going to read all the numbers for time's sake, but if we get down to Genesis 8.16, we find out 375 days and nights in the ark. 300, it's a year and 10 days in a wooden boat, drifting aimlessly, but actually not. Finally, we get the first record of God speaking again. And this time he says, come out of the ark. So now we know where God is. He's also in the new revived land, the new revived earth. He's waiting there as well. There's no place where he is not. So for 375 days of instrument flying, trusting God, but maybe also 375 days of finding that special place of God's presence in the middle of that. God remembered Noah. So back to our question, did God forget? We look at the um, God remembered is not about forgetting. It means that something has been brought to the spotlight of his attention. And it combines these ideas of faithful love and timely intervention. 
faithful love and timely intervention. And then each passage, and I won't read them again, where God remembered is followed by an action. God does something. God remembered Abraham, and he brought his nephew Lot out of catastrophe. God remembered Noah, and he sent a wind. And God remembers you too. And he will work on your behalf. He will act on your behalf out of his good character. He will do it for you. He knows the time for his intervention, but he's faithfully loving you all the way through. And this wind symbolizes the Holy Spirit. In fact, it's the same word used here for God sent a wind as it is in Genesis 1 where it says that the Spirit hovered over the water. So we could say God sent his Holy Spirit, intervened. It was time for action. It was time for the wind of his Spirit. In Acts 2.2, of course, we have the same kind of thing. The sound of a mighty rushing wind and the Spirit comes. The same thing happened in a, a community in northern Quebec in the frozen Arctic tundra amongst the Inuit people. And the communities were like hell on earth. I think it was really cold. Um, rape, violent crime, drugs, alcohol, murder, suicide after suicide after suicide, domestic abuse, the whole works. And some people got praying, and God heard. And I don't know what the length of time was, but repentance came, the gift of repentance. And, um, and then on the 28th of February, 1999, this particular little church was having a, a week of revival meetings, and they added on a youth a Sunday afternoon service. Of course, it all happens at youth, doesn't it? So at the youth Sunday afternoon service, they were the band was playing, they were worshipping, they had a sound system, even though they're way up there. And um, suddenly this noise started, like the sound of a roaring wind and fire. And it got louder and louder, and people got really uneasy, and things began to shake, and, and what's happening? And the, the pastor went, and he turned all the sound controls down to zero. And the noise increased and increased. So he, he turned the system off and the noise kept on increasing. And as you watch the video, because you can watch the video because it was recorded. And as you watch the video, you see these young people crying out, fire, 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 fire. And these tears streaming down their faces as the presence of God, the wind of God came in that place and changed them completely. It changed the community. It changed the way they treated one another. There was all kinds of amazing community transformation that took place. That's what the Spirit of God can do. When we're praying and asking for the wind of God, for the winds of revival, this is what we're looking for. We're looking for that personal place of, of new surrender and of connecting again with first love for God and a passion and, and zeal and all those things, and then the outflow of spiritual awakening into our community and into our nation. How many know we need it? We need it desperately in this nation. We need spiritual awakening. 
We need it in our streets, in our workplaces, our homes. We need his presence. Because when we have his presence, we have everything. Transition times. I don't know whether you're going through a transition time personally or whether it's just some other kind of valley or, or trial and it's, you get bogged down in these things. But I also think that the planet or the church has actually been, because of the pandemic, has gone into a transition time. We left what we knew about church and we were doing it pretty well, we thought, over here. And then there's all these ups and downs and we don't know what's happening. And somewhere out there is something fresh that God has for his church and Thrive Church is headed into it. Harvest Now is going to be part of that. You are part of that. Your life matters to God. Your valley matters to God. Your trial matters to God. He will act on your behalf. 